0: And so 2 Kings chapter 13 tonight. Uh, we'll go ahead and pop up the uh the king's slide a little early uh, because it just starts to get pretty confusing. Uh the white kings down in the bottom are all fairly new kings that we're gonna be going over tonight. Uh remember that on the right hand side of the screen you've got uh the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so that starts with Saul was the first king of Israel. His son Ishbosheth was assassinated, and the kingdom of Israel was given over to David. Who one of his sons Solomon was chosen by the Lord to become the king, uh, and and so Solomon became that king. And the the charge and the warning was given to David to what continue on in the statutes and the testimonies of the law, just like his father David did, and if he would be obedient to the law, to the word, that uh, there would be tremendous blessing uh, for the kingdom. But if he would disobey, that kingdom would be, um, would be split apart. And so you guys know Solomon's life, that he ended up going strong at the beginning and then, uh, then went to serve other gods and married uh, 700 wives and had 300 concubines. And they turned his heart away from the Lord to serve foreign gods. And Gods that uh, had uh, sexual immorality involved, gods that had child sacrifice involved, uh, total idolatry. Later on, we know from Ecclesiastes that Solomon did come back uh, to the true God, but you know he writes in Ecclesiastes that he learned the hard way that all of that stuff was meaningless, and uh, and so it was actually in, in Solomon's son Rehoboam that the kingdom was divided. Uh, And uh, part of that kingdom, the the northern ten tribes of Israel was given to Jeroboam um, over on the left, so that's all Israel on the left, and then uh, Rehoboam continues the line of uh, Judah, David's line, all the way down through uh, what we're studying today, so that's kind of just a little synopsis of where we're at, and so don't be afraid to be constantly referencing that, because to, this, tonight's going to get a little confusing with all the names going around, so um, just you're, I'm with you, you're with me in this, okay, so let's get ready. Uh, chapter 13, we're studying the reign of Jehoaz in Israel. So we're in Israel over on the left, Jehoaz is that first white name. Of the night, and he's the son of Jehu. Remember, Jehu was anointed uh, by Elisha to destroy the line of Ahab, that wicked line of Ahab. And remember, the promise was to Jehu that he would have four sons on the throne. And so, uh, Jeho has is that first son on the throne um, there of Jehu. So, in the twenty-third year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned seventeen years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not uh, depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he delivered them into the hand of Hezael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So uh, Jeroboam on the top left in red, he, remember, he was the first king of Israel, and immediately he set up this false system of worship. He set up a golden calf, northern Israel in Dan, and a calf down south uh, in Bethel, And he didn't want people going down to Jerusalem to worship. He was afraid they'd stay in Jerusalem and be part of the kingdom of Judah. So he set up these false places of worship uh, and that ended up being a plague. Uh, It ended up being a cancer, really, in all of the 19 kings of Israel. Every single one of them, it'll say, uh, would worship in the same manner that Jeroboam did. So not only does a little leaven leaven the whole lump, Paul tells us, but you know, the bad apples don't fall far from the tree. And over on the left side, uh, it's all a bunch of bad apples pretty much the whole time. So, um, <clears throat> so we've got Jehoahaz, and he, just, he, he did evil, verse 2 says, in the sight of the Lord. He didn't depart from this false system of idol worship that Jeroboam set up. And the Lord was angry about this. And so he let Syria, this northern kingdom, uh, begin to chastise and correct Israel, and little battles and little uh, raiding parties coming down. And just uh, it's like having a wasp's nest around all the time. They're just constantly coming and 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 uh, and smiting Israel. We've read a lot about Hazael, the king of Syria. Remember, Hazael was anointed by Elisha also to chastise Israel and, and specifically Ahab's wicked house. And so uh, this is just part of that. Now remember, if you just flip over to chapter 8 in Second Kings, when Elisha went to anoint Hazael, we, just, we were there about three weeks ago, um, Hazael came down to see if his master Ben-Hadad would recover from an illness and remember elisha said yeah he will recover from the illness but then in second kings 8:11 it says that elisha set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed until hazael was ashamed and the man of god wept and hazael said why is my lord weeping and he answered because i know the evil that you will do to the children of israel their strongholds you will set on fire their young men you will kill with the sword and you will dash their children and rip open their women that have babies inside and Hazael said you know what is your servant a dog that he should do this gross thing and Elisha answered the Lord has shown me that you will become the king over Syria and you know that Night or the next, you know, very recently, he ends up going home and King Ben said, So what did Elisha say? Did he say I'd recover? Yeah, he said you'd recover. And then that evening, he gets a wet washcloth and smothers King Ben hadad and becomes king. So that prophecy was fulfilled very quickly. And so now we see that prophecy also being fulfilled that he was going to be a, you know, uh, a bad guy towards Israel, you know, and, and so we see a little bit of what he does. Towards, these, um, towards this nation. Um, if you read King James Version or English Standard Version. Uh, you know um, New King James. It says this happened all of their days. This happened all of their days. They were continually in the hand of Ben-Hadad king of Syria. It was, or uh, actually Hazael. Um, all of their days. So it was just a constant threat. A constant torment uh, from the northern Nation there of of Assyria, or actually Syria. Verse 4. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. So here we have a wicked king, wicked King Jehoahaz, and he begins to be afflicted by Syria, and he actually does something pretty good. What does he do? He cries out to the Lord. For relief from this affliction, that was a a good thing to do. Flip over to Psalm chapter seventy-eight uh, and look at verse thirty-four. And this is kind of the theme almost of the whole chapter. It's kind of a history of Israel and, and their constant wavering, you know. And, and this is the cycle of um, of Israel, you know, that they would get corrected, you know, and then they go back to their sin. They get corrected and go back to their sin. And in Psalm seventy-eight thirty-four, you know, it says when, when the Lord slew them, you know, when he allowed Israel to be slain, then they would seek him. Okay, so when he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and sought earnestly for God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, notice the contrast, he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. And so we saw this in Ahab's life where immediately when Elijah prophesied to Ahab that, you know, the dogs are going to eat his sons and lick his blood and Jezebel's as well. Remember Ahab, wicked King Ahab, ripped his clothes and wept and mourned. And it says, the Lord heard. He says, I heard Ahab's cry. And so Ahab won't see this happen to his family. You know, it'll happen in his son's generations. Uh, And so you see, you know, this pattern of weeping and mourning, but it's just lip service. And you know, how that can be us so often. You know, Paul tells us about a worldly sorrow in 1 Corinthians and how worldly sorrow produces death. You guys remember... um, Uh, James mcdonald that video we showed about a month and a half ago and he was talking about what real repentance is and you know the world they'll go through a struggle or a trial And how we're getting people coming into the church, you know Without any money and they come and they need something from the church and all of a sudden they're repentant, you know And you know, we maybe help them out just a little bit and within a few weeks They're just back to their old life and we're just praying for discernment, you know, just Laura, is this just lip service? And, but how we can do that as well, you know, we, the Lord convicts us of something and so we just kind of sweep a little bit of it out of our house like the leaven that Paul talks about but really we've got a little grain of it back in that closet hidden under a piece of cloth, you know. Oh, we, just, we want this little thing to trust in just you know, or this little thing for this pleasure you know, and, and here I've gotten it hid No one knows about it, you know, not even the Lord, but the Lord does know about it. He knows we're offering lip service, but man, check out his God's character, how long suffering and merciful he is. And this is how he's been toward Israel, but we're going to see, we're going to come to it next week where his long suffering ends towards Israel and he allows them to be taken away captive by Assyria and chastened severely. To try to bring them to their senses so that they'll finally get rid of uh, this heart of idolatry and sexual immorality and these practices that all of these kings have been dealing with. And so, you know, they they lie to the Lord and they give him that lift service. But man, don't you love the Lord though? He is He is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. But we're gonna see what that. That anger does reach its point in a couple chapters. We'll get there probably next week, and so uh, as we continue there, uh, you know, the Lord heard, uh, saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. And then verse five, then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. So we don't really know who this. Uh, deliverer is It might be Joash That we'll read about Later on in this chapter Because he ends up Doing some neat Conquest things for Israel That might be them um, But You know We don't really have To know the name The Lord brought this deliverer You know we, we don't know the name Of the good Samaritan Maybe it was Sammy You know Sammy the Samaritan Something like that But uh, Nonetheless There was a good Samaritan You know And, and the Lord uses him As an example uh, there's a good guy here that the Lord uses um, to deliver them. Verse six, nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin, but walked in them and the wooden image also remained in Samaria. So all throughout the Old Testament, we read of these wooden images that, um, <clears throat> that were from the Canaanites gods that the canaanites the pagans would worship and we remember from asa that asa's grandma would set up these images and we know that they were very pornographic sensual images that would lead the men into sin and that asa king asa's grandma was part of this nasty form of worship and that asa good king asa he's one of the guys with the star by his name on the right Uh, that he confronted his grandma in her sin and tore down this nasty image and had her dethroned as queen because of her immorality and this idol worship. So we see, you know, that these images were all over the land of Canaan and, and the promised land. And, uh, Israel wouldn't tear down these, these nasty pornographic, uh, images. And then, uh, verse seven. For he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. So now we have, uh, jo- uh Joash, uh, the new king here, 16 year reign. And uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord as well He did not depart from all the sins of jeroboam the son of nebat who made israel sin but walked in them Now the rest of the acts of joash and all that he did in his might With which he fought against amaziah king of judah Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of? (coughs) Of israel Uh, And so it's interesting here. We're, We're told about joash now this next king and uh it already kind of jumps to his death real quickly. But then in verse 14, we're going to have kind of a flashback of uh, of some of his rule and some of his reign. And so uh, Elisha, verse 14, would become sick with the illness of which he would die. So kind of interesting in a, in a day when people tell you that Christians shouldn't be sick, you know, and men and women of God should never be sick. And not only did Paul suffer from illness that were constant thorns in his flesh and Epaphroditus and constant examples in Scripture, but here Elisha, you know, Elisha could lay his hands on others and make them well, but he himself, you know, he couldn't make himself well. And so he's suffering from this illness and he's going to die from this illness. This is actually the way that the Lord was going to heal him. And you know what? That's the ultimate healing is, is coming before the Lord. Uh, that's, That's the place where the real healing takes place, not the temporal here on earth. But he's sick with this illness with which he would die. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Anybody recognize that little phrase? The chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, when Elijah was caught up by that chariot of fire, um, Elisha cried that out. That was the cry that he cried. And so here, apparently it was a famous cry because here this king, now this, this is a wicked king here, and he's coming to Elisha's deathbed and he's sorrowful. You know, he's realizing what Israel is losing now. You know, he's realizing that this disciple of Elijah that had twice the miracles that Elijah had and twice the ministry time that Elijah had, uh, that this man is going to die. And we've read the history of Israel and how much these prophets helped Israel. And, and now it's time for this prophet to, to go home to be with the Lord. And there's just weeping here as Jehoash uh, realizes the nation's loss in verse 15 and Elisha said to him take a bow and some arrows I already can hear the, the ears perk up of all you bow hunters around here don't you love the parts about arrows in the Bible uh, he say take a bow and some arrows so he took himself it's even written in Prineville language you know so he took himself a bow and some arrows <laughs> and he said to the king of Israel uh, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you've destroyed them. So, you know, the prophets would often use visual, you know, aids, you know, they didn't have PowerPoint back in the day, you know, so they would use these visual aids to help them understand what God was going to do. And so, you know, with the strength of the Lord, as this prophet also has his hands on the bow, uh, shoot the arrow um, towards Syria, the north and the east of where Israel was. And that was common in the day. You'd thrust a spear towards your enemy and it was kind of the signal of you know it's on the battle is on and uh, so he shoots this arrow out there uh, you know it's time there's a there's a battle that's going to take place and then verses 18 and 19 then he said take the arrows so he took them and he said to the king of israel strike the ground so he struck three times and stopped and the man of god was angry with him and said you should have struck five or six times Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it But now you will strike Syria only three times So, you know, sometimes you bet these kings are like Well, you didn't tell me that, you know, I would have struck it six times then. You know, it was kind of a test It was a test for these guys The, the outward appearance of their inner heart, you know uh, it, it was a symbol to this guy that he just didn't have, you know, the fire to to accomplish this task, and so he only strikes three times. And the man of God is angry, and he yells at him, "Ah, oh, you dummy! I never liked you, anyways. You know, you should, you, you know, you should have struck six times." Oh, ah, yeah. but um, but what a picture this is of how we limit God, you know, how we could limit what the Lord wants to do. You know, and, and, well, I never knew he wanted to do this. You know, I never knew. If he would have told me, I would have done it. And, you know, I think the Lord just wants extreme faith from us. You know, he wants us uh, taking, you know, these giant leaps of faith and trusting in him. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, and, and if Joash would have been hoping for deliverance from Syria, he would have had this you know, gladiator style war cry in there in this hospital bedroom with Elisha, you know, let's get him! You know, but instead he's just like, you know, one, two, three, you know, uh, you know, what? Why did you want me to do that? But, you know, he just didn't have the passion and he didn't have the faith. He didn't have the, the evidence of things hoped for. Instead, he just kind of nonchalantly struck the ground three times. And so just how we can limit the Lord by our lack of believing Him to do great things, you know? Um, can we limit the Lord with our small amount of faith? You guys remember in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration and, uh, the, the Father is there with His demon-possessed Son and the disciples have been trying to cast out the demon and couldn't do it. And so that caused this huge debate as to why with the Pharisees. And so, you know, uh, there in Mark 9, you know, the father says, Lord, if you are uh, willing, you know, can you uh, heal my son? And Jesus said, you know, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child said, what do he say? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, this guy wasn't kind of like, oh, if you could just cast a few of the demons out, that'd be awesome, you know. But he was like, I, I believe, and wherever I'm lacking in my belief, give me more belief. You know, I, I want complete and total victory uh, over this darkness in my son's life. And, you know, just a little bit later after that, the disciples said, well, why couldn't we cast out these demons? You know, it would be, you weren't living a constant life of prayer and fasting. That's why. You know, we've got to have this intimate contact with the Lord if we're going to have power over these unclean spirits. And so they were limited that day because of their faith and their intimacy with the Lord. You know, we can also limit God because of our sin in our life. You know, victories are lost because of um, like Achan in Joshua chapter 7. You know, the victory in the battle was lost because Achan had sin in his tent. And our battles get lost when there's little sin hidden in that, you know, hole under our house, covered by a cloth. You know, the Lord is limited uh, because of our, our, our leaven, our sin. You know, we're told in 1 Thessalonians, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And, and how we can limit the Lord by quenching what he wants to do. And that can probably happen a lot of different ways, but how mindful we should be. Lord, am I quenching you today? Quenching you with my unbelief? Quenching you by my sin? Quenching you by my lack of intimacy with you today? Just haven't spent any time with you? Can you move today? You know, Do you want to move today? Man, I want to seek you and, and hear your heart. And in that same chapter, Psalm 78, that we read a few minutes ago, in verse 41, it says that Israel tempted God. Yes, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. You know, that Israel and and their, you know, constantly following the Lord, not following the Lord, following the Lord, not following the Lord. They tested the Lord and they limited the Lord. And here we just see uh, Jehoash limiting God by his Three strikes with the arrows. We also limit the Lord um, by our forgiveness that we give out. Like Peter, you know, he says, should I forgive my brother seven times? He's like, the Lord's like, don't limit me. (laughs) Seventy times seven, you know. Should I strike the ground three times? Don't limit me. Beat that ground until the arrows break, (laughs) you know. That's how much I trust the Lord. And so, uh, you know, Elisha just prophesies that, you know, Syria is going to be stopped by Joash's army there, but it's not going to be utterly destroyed. And the Lord wanted to utterly destroy Syria at the hand of Israel there, at the hand of Joash. Um, verse 20, then Elisha died and they buried him and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So notice that his death wasn't something that you know, hit the national newspapers and everyone was mourning and they came and there was a huge funeral you you just hear nothing like that he died they buried him there's one sentence dedicated to the death and burial of elisha and so um you just see that you know the servants of the lord they don't always get the uh the pomp and the circumstance, you know, but the real servants are the ones that they're behind the scenes and they're not doing it for the accolades or the fame or that, man, I sure hope one day I have a giant funeral, you know, <laughs> that, that shows how famous and awesome everybody thought I was, you know, but yeah, just the, the sweet hidden servant of the Lord that Elisha was. Um, and at that same time, you know, <laughs> raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year and so it was or so it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha he revived and stood on his feet so he does kind of have a little spectacular thing happen at his death there and you can just picture they're at the burial grounds they're burying and they see the dust cloud coming up from over the hill and You know, the the horses running and, you know, what are we going to do with this body? We got to go hide. Just shove him in this tomb, you know, and they kind of like toss him in there and get running. And man, if there was a hidden camera, you know, in there that day, imagine what the hidden camera would have picked up as the hand just kind of deadly lays over on the bones of Elisha and then starts wiggling, you know, and you start where am I? You know, it's dark in here, mommy, you know, um, it's probably what happened. That's what I'm guessing, but came back to life, this dead body coming back to life. And what a picture this is of what Jesus does to us. You know, just as Elisha's bones brought life to this dead body, so does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection uh, bring life to these dead bodies of sin and of death. And flip over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, just verse 1 there. It says that, And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. Or, you know, by grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, so we were dead in our sin. Just no hope. I mean, when you're dead, you're dead. But while we were dead, you know, we we touched his bones. We received what he did in his death on the cross and the forgiveness that comes through the shedding of his blood. And not only that, he rose from the dead as well. So just a a beautiful picture there as this man comes to life. And Elisha, so often his ministry was just a portrait of what was to come in the ministry of, of Jesus Uh, In verse 22 And Hazael The king of Syria um, Oppressed Israel All the days of Jehoahaz But the Lord was gracious to them Had compassion on them And regarded them Because of his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob And would not yet destroy them Or cast them from his presence So um, You know Israel was sustained Beyond Jehoahaz's reign And it was for more than that promise that, that was made to Jehu, that four kings would sit on the throne. And so the Lord was sustaining Israel so that that promise of four kings could be fulfilled. It was more than that. In fact, the promise went beyond even the promise to David, that there would always sit somebody on the throne of David. Uh, but it goes clear back to the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 17, that the Lord would make this nation... Uh, you know, And the nation would survive, and not only that, they would occupy the land with this one seed on the throne. And one day, like we've been studying in Matthew and Luke, uh, that day is going to come where that seed, Jesus, sits on the throne, ruling and reigning um, over Israel. Uh, and so this promise to Abraham, the Lord didn't forget that covenant he made back in Genesis chapter 17. Um, and, and actually, it, it's there in the King James Version that uh, it says, even until now. And so as the author is writing this after the captivity uh, for, by Assyria, he wrote this and he put, you know, even now after the captivity, the Lord is keeping his promise to Abraham after such a hard Holocaust type experience. Verse 24, now Hazael, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. So interesting, he names his son Ben-Hadad after the king that he killed back in chapter 8. You know, uh, So what that is all about, I do not know. But a little freaky-deaky if you ask me. Um, verse 25, And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he'd taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war notice how many times, three times, Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So three times he defeated him, recaptured those cities, uh, but never completely conquered him. Chapter 14, in the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Became king. So now we're over flip flop We're back over on the Judah side. We've got Amaziah reigning now. Uh, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. So we remember last week we studied Joash, and remember... Joash, when he was one years old, uh, one years old, one year old, was hidden in the temple because his grandma Athaliah started killing all of her grandsons, and so Joash's aunt hid him away in the temple for six years. And when he was seven years old, he became the king, and uh, Athaliah just happened to walk in on the crowning ceremony and screamed out, "What'd she say? Treachery or treason? Treason!" Uh, and so, uh, they took her out of the temple and they killed her outside. And so, Joash started ruling at the age of seven. And so, uh, but we also noticed that Joash, remember his spiritual condition? He was a boy that was raised in the temple. And the priest, uh, I believe his name was Jehoiada, uh, the priest discipled him. You know, for years and years, the priest had this one on one discipleship time with joash and the evaluation of joash spiritually was that joash walked with the lord all the days of his life no he walked with the lord all of the days that jehoiada was the priest and then after the priest died he started uh following after these other gods and ended up even killing the priest's son zechariah um because of his identity you know, because he was an idolater and was confronted by Zechariah So Joash's life Started out strong Raised in the church If you will Strong spiritually Sitting under his mentor His discipler, his sensei You know, looked over there at Blaine I was like, sensei, Blaine, you following me? Okay, got a karate guy over there uh, You know, as, as long as his discipler was alive He did well with the Lord But once that discipler was out of his life he just spiritually went downhill and did not end well. Sadly, we see the same thing with his son, Amaziah. And man, as go the fathers, so go the children. And just such a, you know, looking around at some fathers with some young kids, you know, and just, man, we want to just be leading and as an example for those kids uh, so that when they grow up, you know, um, you know they'll, they'll follow and walk in our pattern, in every area, you know, in every area. And we just see, you know, uh, Amaziah following in the footprints of his dad, Joash. And so he did what was right. Verse 3, it seems such a great start. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And sadly, there's that little word, yet. It's too bad there wasn't a period there. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But there's that yet, you know, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. And uh, verse 4, however, the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrifice and burn incense on the high places. So there was still this false, these false places of worship from the Canaanites days all set up around and, uh, and, and it was just this unhealthy pattern of worship Uh, In the Judeans life there So they had leaven in their lives And they didn't get rid of it So sadly, you know, I wanted to put a star by Amaziah I want to put a star by Joash But it's just sad because they don't finish well They finish as idolaters You know, they finish as idol worshipers Uh, And it's just, you know, that's the important thing It doesn't matter what happens the first half of your life What matters is, you know, are you going to continue on in the things that you've learned and been assured of. you know, Knowing from whom you've learned of, Paul tells Timothy. Um, Verse 5, now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who'd murdered his father the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commands, saying, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death. For their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So um, it was actually right for him to execute these guys. Remember, they led this coup against his dad and killed his dad. Um, but they probably killed his dad because his dad killed Zechariah the priest. So, um, but you know, their their murder was paid for there as they were executed. And we also notice as he starts out strong, he's following the law. He's doing some good stuff, following the law, not killing these kids here. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by war. Selah is, is modern-day Petra, you know, or, or Petra nowadays. So he went and took this rock city um, by war and called its name Jachthiel to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come let us face one another in battle so he he beat edom in some battles and he gets a little bit cocky you know he gets a little bit prideful and says you know what i'm doing pretty good i'm going to go take on israel so judah tries to pick a fight you know with its two tribes tries to pick a fight on israel with its 10 tribes it says you know come let us face one another let's look one another in the eye and let's have a fight and see who's stronger In verse 9, so Jehoash the king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You know, he's basically giving him a warning as well as an insult. I'm a big cedar tree. The cedars in Lebanon were very famous. You are a tiny little thistle you know, and you're coming and picking on this cedar tree, you know, while you're still talking to me, I'm going to crush you as if a giant beast just ran over you, you know, so don't even try it. Uh, You know, he says in verse 10, you have indeed defeated Edom and your heart has lifted you up. You know, you're, you're excited after that win over there. Glory in that and stay at home for why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall? You and Judah with you, so you're proud against your victory in Edom. You know, all right. You know, pat yourself on the back. But why are you coming up here picking on a guy that's you know ten times or you know, actually five times bigger than you? Uh, you know, don't come after me because you'll be defeated. And so we see there's this pride in uh, Amaziah. You know, he started out well, but this pride uh, started seeping in, and it's going to actually lead to his his downfall. And you know, First Peter tells us that you know we're to clothe, be clothed with humility, and we just see that's not the case in Amaziah's life. You know, it says and it goes on to say, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, and uh, you know we're to be clothed with humility, and we have to wear that humility because pride just brings on the sin. You know, Ben Franklin said in his autobiography, "There's perhaps no one." Of our natural passions So hard to subdue As pride Beat it down Stifle it Mortify it as much as one pleases It is still alive Even if I could conceive That I could completely overcome it I should probably be proud of my humility You know And uh, And and that's that's Completely the case I won't disagree with that at all That pride that's just Always there in man, um, you know during the Battle of the Wilderness in the Civil War, the Union General John Sedgwick was inspecting his troops going down the line and At one point he came to this parapet which overlooked the battlefield, and he gazed out into the direction of the enemy as he 's gazing out there, his officers suggested you know that this is unwise to stand up and to look out, and perhaps he should duck down while passing this parapet and and he ended up saying nonsense and he snapped at these men and he said they couldn't hit an elephant at this disc a moment later he was cut down to the ground by a by a confederate bullet you know and that's just what our pride does you know we don't want to hear from anybody we're wise in our own opinions you know uh we got to see ourselves elevated And the Lord says, you know, I know exactly how to de-elevate you, you know, so don't mess with me in your pride area. Come before the Lord in humility and constantly give that up uh, to the Lord. You know, the former heavyweight boxer, James Quick Tillis, was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought in Chicago back in the 1980s. And he still remembers his first day getting off of the bus there in Chicago after arriving from Tulsa. And he said, I got off the bus with my two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago, and I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, and I looked up at the tower and said to myself, I am going to conquer Chicago. Then he says, when I looked down, the suitcases were gone. (laughs) So, you know, that pride, it comes before a fall. And C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says... If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think that you're not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. And uh, man, may the Lord just deal with us in our pride. You know, it's the downfall of so many. Uh, whether they're in, in some place of prominence or not, uh, that pride just eats away at us. It's like a dandelion. One guy says that it just grows up everywhere. You know, it's just so hard to put down. But, uh, but we do see that that's actually the deal with Amaziah. He's glorying in this battle over Edom and, uh, wants to take on a bigger, bigger fish to fry, you know? And, uh, you know, So he says, verse 11, but Amaziah would not heed, therefore Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. So he got uh, a rear whooping there uh, by Israel, and Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and went and he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. So his pride ended, ended up not only costing him, but cost uh, the, the, the town of Jerusalem and the house of the Lord all of the money and all of the articles that you know, his dad, Joash, had worked so hard to put in there And so you know it just makes you wonder How did Amaziah Who started out well with the Lord End up losing a battle Against Jehoahaz Who never did anything good for the Lord And was evil before the Lord Continually How did that happen Why wasn't God fighting for him We've seen him do that before Fight for you know, um, uh, you know He would fight for those Whose hearts are loyal to him Well, look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, or excuse me, actually 25, 2 Chronicles 25, verse 5, 2 Chronicles 25, it's the the parallel passage there. Moreover, Amaziah, so this is clear back before he goes to battle with Edom. This is before he got puffed up. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle a spear and a shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for a hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah and they returned home in great anger. Then Amaziah strengthened himself and leading his people went to the valley of salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were all dashed in pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle. They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth-haron, killed 3,000 in them, and took much spoil. So here we see still the the good part of Amaziah. You know, how awesome. Isn't it kind of refreshing to hear a prophet go to somebody and say, you know, don't do this. The Lord's not with you in this. And then they obey. I mean, isn't that cool? Well, what am I supposed to do with the 100 talents that I gave them? Don't worry about that. The, the Lord can increase that so much more. Okay, you know, I'll obey the Lord. I mean, that's just such a sweet spot in Amaziah's life. And as I, as I hear that story, I kind of think about how we today, uh, you know, we tend to cheat. Uh, we tend to cheat on stuff just a little bit. We do gray area stuff. We actually do full-on black area stuff to benefit. I remember a friend of mine who um, his daughter had... Had to have open heart surgery. And so, um, you know, they went through the whole ordeal up in Portland at OHSU and being at the Ronald McDonald house and all of that. And when they finally went back home, um, it worked out better on their insurance, sadly. It worked out better if they were separated in, in, in their marriage. They'd get more insurance money than if they were, you know, married and had a healthy family. So uh, my friend moved out. And uh, wouldn't dwell with his wife so that they could get, you know, better insurance for their baby. And uh, man, and you know, lo and behold, now they're divorced. You know, and so you just look at that and just always just my heart burned that you know he would just understand God is faithful. Be there, the husband that God wants you to be, and don't worry about the money aspect of it because if you're faithful to the Lord, He's gonna just increase greatly. It's the same with our taxes. You know, well oh, you know, if I, if I fudge this just a little bit, you know, uh, you know it'll, it'll end up better, you know. It's like, hey, just be obedient to the Lord and to the governing authorities, and God knows, and he's able to increase greatly. It's the same with building codes these days. You know, it's just so much easier to call that addition on your house, you know, a storage room than, you know, the added-on room for your in-laws, you know, or whatever, and to just not get the codes and not get the um, inspections. But that's not the way with the Lord. You know, he wants us to be men and women of integrity, and he's able to provide, you know, exceedingly abundantly if we're obedient. So, you know, I I love that, that that Amaziah was obedient. And, uh, And then we have the problem, though, in verse 14. Now it was, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people who could not rescue their own people from their hand, from your hand? So it was as he talked with him that the king said to him, "How we made you, Have we made you, the king's counselor, cease? Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God's determined to destroy you. Because you've done this and have not heeded my advice. So he brings these gods home, sets them up, begins worshiping them. And just what a word from the Lord. These gods weren't strong enough to deliver the people that you just conquered. So why are you worshiping them? Well, you know, and in his pride, we see his pride begin here. Who made you the king's counselor? Just be quiet. Do you want to die right now? And this prophecy spoken of him, the Lord's already figured out you're going to be destroyed by the Lord now. And then he goes on and he ends up um, becoming defeated by Joash there uh, in the battle that we just read about. So uh, Amaziah sadly did not finish well, but just like his dad, uh, became an idol worshiper. And uh, verse 15, back in 2 Kings chapter 14, now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, his might, how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah... Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers and was buried at Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. So, you know, it's interesting that the death of Jehoash uh, or Jehoahaz is recorded twice. And I think it's because there's a contrast here. Even though he was a wicked king, he died a peaceful death. Versus Ahaziah, whose death is mentioned next in verse 17, who was a pretty good king, And then later on in life was a little more prone to violence. He died in a violent way. uh, And so verse 17, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after uh, the king rested with his fathers. So in Judah, a 16-year-old now becomes king. And Anybody here have a 16-year-old? 15-year-old? Imagine next year, your little 15-year-old ruling over you. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's fun right there. Um, then uh, verse 23, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. So now we have Jeroboam 2 uh, named after Jeroboam 1, obviously. And, and it's kind of like naming your child Jezebel or like naming your child Delilah or Naming your child Judas Iscariot Rogers. You know, um, just, you know, what this guy was thinking, naming his son after the man that led all of the kings of Israel into idol worship, um, one can only guess. But nevertheless, we have Jeroboam too, uh, here in Israel. And uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, didn't depart from these sins like his namesake um, and uh, he restored the territory, verse 25, from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he'd spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Imittai, the prophet who was from gath hepher So he restores this kingdom. There's actually some good stuff that happens under this wicked king. Uh, basically, the nation is restored to its Solomon boundaries, the, the boundaries from the days of Solomon. Uh, so some good stuff happens, but we see it's just a false... Peace uh, Before this giant storm that's going to happen uh, This was a, something that was prophesied by Jonah And yes, this is the Jonah of Jonah and the whale uh, So kind of cool to see that he lived at the same time And prophesied over this Notice also, Jonah is the son of Amittai And he's from Gath-Heifer You know, a lot of people think that Jonah is just a myth Or he's just a legend or he's a fairy tale No, he's a man with a father from a land. And actually, you go to Israel today, you'll go to uh, Joppa, which is the port that he took off from and got on the boat. Uh, So a very historical place that can be backed up um, by other, other things here. So not just a myth, but an actual man. Verse 26, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would um, blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Uh, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war, and actually Stuart, you can come on up, buddy. Uh, how he made war, how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath, what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the king of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, uh, the kings of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. So uh, there's kind of this false peace here under Jeroboam's reign. We're about fifty fifty years away from uh, the reigning band from the raids of uh, us Syria taking uh, Israel captive. So, um, but let's go ahead and put our stuff away and just uh, as we close, just ask the Lord uh, to just. Man, expose the things in your heart tonight, and in my heart, that aren't totally given over to Him. Just those things that we kind of hide, hide from the Lord, which we know aren't really hidden, or we hide from our friends or our family, and we know that the Lord sees those things. And if those little sins, the little idolatry, the little... Just tiny little bits of stuff in our life, if they're allowed to stay there, that sin is going to bring forth death. Might start out small, but how it destroys, and we just see that in each one of these kings. And Lord, we just ask tonight that you would just expose in us the high places Lord, perhaps the platform that we've removed the idol from, but we've kept the platform there. So that when need be, someday we might come back to it and put an idol back up on it. Lord, show us those things. I pray you'd bring deep conviction of your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd bring godly sorrow that produces life. Lord, I pray just for each person in this room that you would help us finish strong. Even Paul himself wanted to finish the race well. He didn't want to be disqualified. Lord, help us to finish the race well. Every athlete, if he's going to run in a race, he must compete by the rules. If he cheats, he'll be disqualified. Lord, help us to run the race and compete by the rules. Or just show us the idol, show us the sin. And just maybe you're here tonight, and just like that dead body, that corpse, had no life in it but was dead and decaying maybe you came into this room tonight without Jesus without his blood taking away your sins you are a dead decaying corpse but just like the body we read about if you'll reach out tonight and touch Jesus you'll be brought to life If anyone is in Christ He's a new creation He makes us alive We who were once dead in sin And if you're walking According to the course Of this world tonight And it's lust And it's pride And it's false hope and The corruption that's in it and you're a dead corpse and tonight just reach out and touch jesus reach out and receive jesus if you do tonight you'll be made new you'll be given life and your sins will be blotted out never to be remembered again if you're here tonight and that's you i just want to ask you to just Do something very brave and just respond tonight. Just respond to the Lord and lift up your hand where you're at. Just lift your hand up to the Lord and say, Lord, that's me. I'm that dead corpse, rotting and decay, and my life is just, it's going downhill. But I touch you tonight, Jesus. I receive you. I want you and I want the life that you bring. I want forgiveness of sins. Just lift your hand to the Lord in response. And just the moment your heart tells your hand to do that. The moment your heart just says, I want Jesus. Man, just know that Your sins are being bought. They're being paid for by Jesus. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378 Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.